是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, where you'll hear stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. I'm your host Cindy, and today we're meeting with Francesca Chang. Francesca is a travel scout, blogger, and career coach. If you've recently been to Taiwan, you may have come across her blog, Attorney on a Journey. Francesca will definitely share with you her favorite off-the-beaten-path tour and how she went from a U.S.-based lawyer to a career coach now in Taiwan. Let's get into it. Hi, Francesca. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan. I am a Taiwanese American from the Bay Area in California. My father is actually Taiwanese. My mother is Italian American, so that is my link with my father. He is not the typical Taiwanese dad, I guess I'd say. He emigrated at a very young age to the United States, so he grew up from sixteen and on in. Western American culture and was very distant from his Taiwanese heritage, and so I think that's also why I it took me a lot longer to get back in touch with the motherland.、Mm-hmm. So when was the first time you visited? The very first time I ever visited was when I was in college. I was a junior in college, and I decided I wanted to study Mandarin because that was a language I never grew up learning or speaking. So I did a study abroad program through UCLA at Taita or National Taiwan University to study Mandarin for three months, and then what kept you coming back? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's so easy to fall in love with the country. I mean, for one thing, right? It was just reconnecting with my roots and learning about the people, the language, of course, the food, right? <laughs> I didn't really grow up eating real Taiwanese food. We went to、mm. Chinese restaurants in the states, and that was about it. Yeah, just falling in love with the country, I guess, was what kept me coming back, and just wanting to learn and explore more always about where my family's from. And now you live here. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I live in Taipei. So you were a lawyer back in the U.S.、Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about your career journey and what that's been like? Yeah. So. I went to law school after living in Taiwan. In addition to studying, I moved back after college and had this two-year gap between undergraduate and law school. I went to law school because I thought it was a prestigious career. I thought it would be lucrative. You know, just always coming from this desire that I had to help people too, because that's what I did in college. I was very active with civil rights movements and human rights movements, and so I thought it would be a good fit for me. Went to law school. During my second year, I think I started to question whether this was、mm. the right thing for、mm-hmm. me. You know, nobody tells you what it's like to practice law.、Mm. Law school doesn't even teach law students how to <laughs> practice law. It teaches you how to pass the bar. Yes,、right? two completely、True. different things. So as I got exposed to the legal practice through internships, through meeting lawyers, through interviewing, I had my doubts about whether it was going to be the right thing for me. And I think the defining moment was when I just started having all of these health problems because of the stress of first it was law school, gaining weight in a very unhealthy manner, losing hair, having really bad anxiety, which is not that normal for me. And then when I started practicing, I just felt like it was getting worse, and I wasn't helping anybody because、mm-hmm. I couldn't help myself first. Very soon after I passed the California bar, I left.、Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Was it hard to tell your family? Yes. I mean, okay, actually, it wasn't that hard to tell my family. It was harder to deal with the reactions. You know, like I said, my dad is not a typical Taiwanese dad. <laughs> and so he never gave me pressure to go to law school. That was never his decision. He actually moonlights as a professional violinist at night. So he's an artist. So he never gave me the pressure to go to law school. But when I left, you know, he was just kind of like, are you sure? Are you sure that's the right thing to do? Are you sure? Like you spent all this time on it. And, you know, of course, in like all Asian parents' eyes, no matter where they come from, they're like, oh, well, being a lawyer is a really good job. You know, mm-hmm. it's very prestigious and brings a lot of honor, right? Yeah. But so I wasn't, it wasn't hard to deal, telling them, it was just hard dealing with the reactions of my choice. Yeah, telling them my choice. Mm. I had a similar experience like you where I went to business as my undergrad and pretty much the first month I knew I didn't want to do mm-hmm. it, but I finished the four-year program. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I took the bar. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I could quit. I didn't yeah, know yeah. that was an option. So yeah. I guess we all each learn ourselves at our own pace. So now you're in Taiwan as yes. a, a blogger, a tour guide, a model. <laughs> How did sure. that happen? Uh, it just came from, you know, when I quit the law, I didn't really know what I was going to do. At the time, there were no resources for exiting lawyers, right? What brought me here was just kind of always pursuing my passions. You know, I loved traveling. So that's kind of where the blog came from. It's, um, you know, before I even moved back to Taiwan, I would make videos of all the places that I went to and kind of like as a vlog, I guess, kind of informal vlog on Instagram and whatnot. So just sticking to my passions, what like I was gravitating towards, what my heart was wanting. So by the time I came back to Taiwan, the natural thing for me to do was to start working in tourism. And I did have a connection from my previous stint here, right? When I was here during my gap between undergraduate and law school. So I just started working in tourism again. Mm-hmm. That work turned into a full-time job where, you know, I was not a tour guide, but a tour scout. Yeah, sorry. No, tour it's scout. okay. That was cool because I was basically exploring these gems of Taiwan, these mm-hmm. hidden places oh my gosh. that, you know, you can see on my blog, right? And my Instagram, these places that even locals didn't really know about because they were either just developing or they were just so remote. And so I loved doing that. I loved being a tour scout as part of my job. Yeah. Can you tell us what is it like being a tour scout? So being a tour scout was just one aspect of my job. My official title was digital marketing manager for a tour company that catered to inbound tourists, so foreigners that were visiting Taiwan. Um, So when I was in the office, I was creating content, which is something, like I said, I already loved to do anyways. Like I loved documenting my own travel. So creating content about Taiwan was still super fun for me. And then when we were on the go, you know, scouting locations, it was basically me and my coworker and I was driving around the entire island, (laughs) just driving her around the island. And um, we would go and we'd meet with these potential vendors, right, for the tour company. We wanted to collaborate with them to offer this experience to our customers. And so we would get this just super personal, up-close, deep experience, like Mm -hmm. meeting these people, meeting this sixth-generation longan farmer, right, who still had an outdoor longan oven from the Japanese era, right? Mm -hmm. And just telling us about the history of his farm and his ancestors and why he turned what he has into, you know, a and b and a cooking class for people who want to come visit and learn about his history. People probably ask you all the time, but what's the most underrated place to visit in Taiwan? 
Underrated. You know, to me, it's such a surprise that the east coast of Taiwan, like Hualien Taidong, is not more developed. And mm-hmm. I mean, because when you go there, it's like going to Hawaii without yeah. tourists, right? Like there's <laughs> nobody there and it's just blue, 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 beautiful ocean, beautiful white sand beaches, people there, a lot of indigenous tribes there. They're so friendly. But yeah, it's just, am I saying too much? Am I like opening the doors to this <laughs> hidden gem? Yeah, I feel like the whole East Coast is just something that everyone should explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the East Coast or anywhere else, what was your most memorable off the beaten path experience? A lot of the travel that I did for the company and that I still do is exploring these indigenous tribes and villages that have recently opened up their communities to tourism. And I love the way that they're doing it because they still keep it very in tune with you know the tribe's values. It's all slow travel, right? When you go, you're not creating any trash. You're not leaving anything behind. And you're doing and learning exactly what the tribe does. Like you're learning how to fish with the tribe, how to hunt with the tribe, (laughs) how to climb trees with the tribe. You know, that's my favorite aspect. It's so impromptu that, you know, the tribe will just want you to start singing and dancing with them. It's not like, oh, this is part of the package. You know, now we sing and dance. It's like it all happens so organically and naturally. And so I think those moments are Mm -hmm. the most memorable. So I know that recently Taiwan has some farm stay kind of experiences. So you're saying that the tribes are starting to offer stays as well? Or? Yes. Yeah, they have stays on their property, but it's very, very deep, right? It's They kind of walk you around their village and show you just the origins of their tribe and their beliefs. And it's something that you will never find in, you know, like a lonely planet. You won't find it in a tour book, in a tour guide book. So how would one of our listeners be able yeah. to follow up on it? So a lot of it's on my blog. A lot of it's on mm-hmm. my Instagram, just like the videos, the blog posts. The tribes are doing now is they're kind of making their own websites to promote the activities. And so I link to those as well. They do have English versions, which is very, I mean, that's amazing. I feel like they're working so hard to share you know, yeah. their communities with the world. And the more we could do to help preserve the different tribes, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure, yeah. Kind of in that vein, what's something you've learned about Taiwanese culture or people through your travels? Mm. Something that I learned that I didn't really know growing up is how complex the identity and the culture of Taiwanese people are. I keep talking about the indigenous people because, to be honest, their story is not really told. And that's a big part of this island, right? It's like they were the first people. And a lot of what people, I'd say a lot of what Taiwanese people eat or even like the uh, wrenching way, mm-hmm. Taiwanese hospitality. Yes. You know, I think that has to do with even before the colonization of Taiwan. Like you see that in the Taiwanese people, you see that in the indigenous people, right? It's just this island culture where people are just so welcoming and wanting to help you. But that's just one part, right? Then, you know, if you look at the history of Taiwan, it's like they were colonized by the Japanese, right? And then the KMT was here. Their legacy is very influential of how Taiwan functions today as a country. There's just so many layers to this of the Taiwanese identity and where Taiwan is going now. Mm -hmm. You really have to be here to experience it to kind of appreciate that. For sure. Do you have any tips for first-time travelers to Taiwan? Yeah, so I'd say do the cool things in Taipei, right? That's (laughs) everyone. You'll find that in a tour guidebook. Go see 101. That building is fantastic. 
for a while was one of the tallest buildings in the world. And the story behind it, the architecture and the way it resembles bamboo is all very inspiring. Do that, you know, eat at the famous dumpling restaurants, Ding Tai Fong, and go to the night markets. Yeah, do that. But then spend a lot of time outside of Taipei. Mm -hmm. You know, you really need to get outside of the capital to see you just the beauty of the island for one, right? Again, it's like I said, when you go to the East Coast, it's like going to Hawaii, but there are no tourists. <laughs> so go to the East Coast and just, yeah, get off the beaten path. Like there's just, no matter where you go, like people are here to help you and assist you. That's something that's just so inspiring about this country is that you always have help and you'll just experience, you know, something that I don't think you'll find anywhere else in the world. And as someone who's now worked in the tourism industry here for a while, how would you describe tourism in Taiwan and what do you think it could become? Right now, it's a bit divided just because, like I said, every part of Taiwan is so different from each other. The Alishan Forest Area has its own tourism bureau that's separate from the East Coast Tourism Bureau. So it's very divided, but I know that the intentions are all good. Like mm -hmm. it's very, very genuine. Each department is, they just really want to share they're part of the country with other people. And it's very moving. But in terms of the future, you know, I do think that Taiwan could benefit from centralizing all of the tourism departments and working on a common goal, but still showcasing just like the nuances and the individuality of each different place. Because I myself, as someone who lives abroad, I've always wondered why Taiwan wasn't one of the top Tourist yeah. destinations. Right? Yeah, when you're here, right? It's like, why, is, why don't more people come here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking about what would Taiwan have to do to become one of the must-go-to places that my friends talk about, like Japan or Korea? Mm. I personally think the reason why I'm sharing these off-the-beaten-path experiences is because that's kind of Taiwan's draw. You, right. you can't get these experiences anywhere else in the world. And right now, currently, not that many people know about them. And mm -hmm. so I feel like for the future, it's going to have to be really just highlighting these unique, slow travel, mm. personal experiences. Yeah, we're more than bubble tea. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and night markets. The identity is complex, but that's beautiful, right? Everywhere you go, there's something different to learn. And the history is different. I went to one place where you can go and paint umbrellas with the Hakka people of mm. this world, right? That's another minority group here in Taiwan that people don't really know about before they come to Taiwan, too. I think I saw that somewhere. So is it an umbrella village? Yes. It's beautiful, and the history behind it is also very beautiful. The families that run it, you know, they're so nice to speak to, and it's a very welcoming vibe. Oh, my gosh. Is there a website or something that captures the most unique or these kinds of experiences people are looking for? Not yet. <laughs> You're going to work on it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is what gives me motivation to work on my blog, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because I've noticed that a lot of people do come to me or will message me for like, what are your tips? You know, what recs do you have for this area? And it needs to be showcased on a larger scale. So you've made a successful transition from lawyer to, well, the tourism industry for one, and now you're starting a coaching business. Yeah. What was that process like, the career-changing process? The process was a bit challenging because I knew I wanted to stay with the blog thing, right? Like that's what I realized is I need to stop calling that a hobby. <laughs> I, need to, <laughs> I need to consider yeah. that a career, right? If mm -hmm. I want to take this seriously and I want to make a difference, it's, this is one of my jobs. It's one of my careers. So it was hard finding just the ability to say like, I am more than one thing or I can mm. do more than one thing. Because for me, it's always 
it's a matter of balance. You know, like law school really showed me that's like when I'm imbalanced, it's really, really bad. It's really unhealthy and I can't be productive. So the career change kind of came about actually, interestingly, also from my blog or from Mm -hmm. my Instagram is because my Instagram handle is attorney on a journey. Same with my blog, attorneyonajourney.com. And I didn't realize the impact it was having, you know, not just people who want to travel Taiwan, but lawyers, right? Or anybody who wants to pursue their dreams or specifically leave corporate. Mm -hmm. And so I just started getting these messages on my (laughs) Instagram from lawyers that I never met before in my life. And they were just asking me like, how do I leave the law? And it was coming from such a genuine and sadly such a like desperate situation where they just didn't know what to do. They felt stuck. And that's when I started to realize, oh, maybe in addition to this blog thing that I do, sorry, my blog career, (laughs) not a thing, my blog career, (laughs) I can help people Mm -hmm. who want to do something that I did because I didn't realize that my story was powerful Mm. or that it was helping people. Like I heard from actually some people I went to law school that they just would look at my blog when they felt stuck or if they just didn't feel like they could do anything else with their lives and they would just come to my blog and be like, oh, that's inspiring, you know, in itself. Mm. So that's where the coaching business came from, the life coaching. I am a life coach now too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So when you first named it Attorney on a Journey, you Uh were thinking more literal? Just travel. Just travel. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was part of your own life journey. There's that too. Like I would always share personal experiences about the struggles that I had. But I think, you know, I wasn't looking at it big enough until people started messaging me. And I was like, oh, these are the people who are following me. (laughs) You know, like this is why they're coming. Yeah. Mm. I definitely know a bunch of people who have thought about changing careers, but haven't done it yet. They haven't made that first step. So what advice or maybe some starter thoughts Mm -hmm. uh, would you give them? Yeah, for changing careers, there's got to be a lot of inner work. You have to really sit down and ask yourself, what do I want despite what other people are going to tell me, despite what other people think I should do, you know, despite the reactions that I'm going to have, the same reactions that I had when I told, you know, my dad that I didn't want to be a lawyer. You really have to just believe in yourself, right? And just say, I don't care or plan for it. Like, okay, even if my dad says I should study law, I'm not going to, I want to do this. So yeah, just doing the inner work. But what was really the most helpful for me was getting my own life coach. I didn't realize the power of coaching until I did it, right? Until I was coached, I should say, because then it's like you have a real accountability partner, right? Because I wanted to start my own coaching business for probably like a year, I'd say, when I started getting the messages, but I didn't do anything about it until I had someone guiding me and, you know, Mm -hmm. just confirming that it was something I wanted to do first, right? Because sometimes you have career ideas and then you realize you want something else, which is fine. But first, you know, I had someone confirming and asking me like, why is it that you want this? And then after I did the work, it was a matter of, okay, here's what the accountability partner, my coach was like, this is what I want you to do, or this is what you should do and show me what you're going to (laughs) do. So having that person there was really, really helpful. I would say the accountability is great and they help you believe in yourself too. Totally. They believe in you. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. My coach's name is Wendy Shu. Um, yeah. Shout out. Shout out to Wendy. Um, yeah. And then when you were talking about the decision to quit law because of your, I guess the, your body was mm. responding, right? So when you were telling me that, I was thinking of ultimately why I left a consulting firm. I used to work at 
McKinsey. And my dad told me, don't quit till they fire you. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and my hair also started falling out. And I would wake up every day with a knot in my stomach. I just really didn't want to go to work. And then it really was until my body was breaking down that I said, I need to do something about this for my health. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's in our society, right, where we value the job title, we value that paycheck, mm-hmm. the status that comes with it. It Now, it still takes people that much to quit a job, right? It took me when I was studying for the bar for the doctors to say, oh, we think you have kidney stones for me to realize. And I didn't have kidney stones. It was just stress, right? I went through all Uh, these tests and it was nothing. And that's, what if it were kidney stones, right? That's worse. That's why do we need to wait that long for us to realize that? And so, yeah, it is. I'm glad that you said that. It is really important to pay attention to your body, right? Because your body will always tell you when something is up. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about your life coaching business. Mm-hmm. Who's your target clientele? What are you planning on doing with them? Yeah, so I started just with the idea of coaching lawyers that want to leave the law. And that is, I'd say, the majority of people who have contacted me who are interested in being coached. But I've also realized that there are other people who reach out to me too, like just wanting to know, you know, A, like I can do something different from what I'm doing now. And B, it's okay to pursue my dreams and my passions. And if you think about it, they're all kind of the same people, right? It's they just want something they don't have now and they uh, they want to get to live the life that they want to live. And so that's that's really my target, I'd say. I'm curious if you know this. Do life coaches exist in Taiwan? In theory, <laughs> I mean, I have heard of one coach, one wow. coach, and I haven't <laughs> met this person. So it's like, maybe it's, he's still a unicorn, <laughs> but I have heard of one coach. The concept of life coaching is very, very new in Taiwan. Like Taiwan is still a bit traditional in the sense where when I tell people I quit law, mm-hmm. they're just kind of like, why would you ever do such a thing? The, the, the <laughs> yeah. pay is so good. The title is so powerful and prestigious and they don't really get the reasons. I mean, I know that there are people who seek it. And yeah, there's one coach that I need to find. (laughs) There's one coach. Hopefully it'll get bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when I tell people about coaching, you know, I'd say definitely like the younger generation in Mm -hmm. Taiwan, they totally understand, especially Mm -hmm. my former coworkers or not just former coworkers, but anyone working a job and even like recently graduated, right? It's I feel people... They want to be guided, they want direction, and they want to know that making their own personal choices is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, I'm just thinking too about mental health and Mm -hmm. how these are just things that I'm hoping for the Taiwanese society to allow more space for. I think so. I definitely see a shift. I mean, I'm so inspired by, uh, like I said, this younger generation and their Mm -hmm. perspective on mental health Mm -hmm. and jobs too, right? Like the fact that they're so receptive to the idea of coaching or the idea of not working just for money, not putting money before everything. I'm hopeful. So back to you for a second. Someone of mixed heritage, born and raised in the U.S. What drew you to Taiwan? And does everyone in your family feel the same way? Does Taiwan have a pull on you? Mm. Initially, right, it was just this curiosity where I just felt like, how come I don't know about my family's history? Because they had a very, very 
treacherous and challenging immigration story in history, right? Like they basically fled from the Taiwanese government at the time during martial rule. They fled and they never came back. Mm. So they were disconnected from their country as well. And so I just, I just wanted to know, like, why mm -hmm. is there this gap? And why am I the one asking about it? <laughs> uh, so it was just curiosity. And then, you know, it's like the minute I got here, I was like, wow, these people are just amazing. And like, you fall in love with the country. It's just that feeling of safety and being welcomed and people wanting to help you. And then, of course, you know, the living conditions here are amazing, right? It's affordable. It's clean. You have health care. It's transportation <laughs> is so convenient, right? Like I don't need to yeah. drive in this city. I take public everywhere. Did your dad move back with you or? No. So he's still in the States, but given the current climate of America, he really does wish he could be here. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess since you've lived here, do you feel like people are welcoming to you? Do you fit in or are you always seen as a foreigner? I do feel welcomed here. If I am seen as a foreigner, that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the people here are just so open-minded where they want to learn more about you and your culture and the way you think about things. Like, even if I say things that are very, very different from their viewpoints, they don't get offended by them. They just want to know, like, oh, why do you think that way? Or, mm -hmm. or that's interesting. And that's why I'm so hopeful for Taiwan and this younger generation, because they're not just questioning the way other people think and do things. They're starting to adopt and maybe look at the better way. Not that any other culture is superior to Taiwan, but just they're open to exploring how their country can do things differently. And what have you learned about yourself in the last few years of living here? Whatever happens, it's important to be flexible, whether that's a career change, whether that's a life change. Being an expat in Taiwan, is it has its challenges too, right? Of course, it's a blessing to be living here, but it has its challenges just because there are cultural differences, even though I grew up with some of them, you know, it's just the way they think very traditionally, how family is very, very important above all, even just little things where like, I can't get like the Mexican food that I crave so much being from California. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just really important to be flexible and just be grateful too at the same time. If people want to know more about your coaching business, where can they find information on that? Yeah, part of this journey was realizing that my coaching helps people because of who I am, mm -hmm. not because I have a business. So if anybody ever wants to get in touch, my Instagram, right, the handle attorney on a journey is where you can always find me. And I love meeting new people through there. And they can also browse for travel ideas. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, of course. To check out Francesca's travel guides, you can go to attorneyonajourney.com or follow her Instagram at attorneyonajourney. Remember to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Taiwan Jiao.